Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I want to ask a question of you today. If you could only ask God for one thing, you only get one request, and and that request will be answered assuredly in the affirmative. You will get the thing that you want, but you only get one thing. And so that means that thing is the most important thing in your life. And so as you reflect on that thing, what is it? What's the most important thing that you would like? Right right now, as you assess your life, now there's really only one right answer to that question. I'll tell you the answer. Most of you should you should know it honestly, but perhaps you don't. Maybe your life is in such a bad spot right now that you're overcome by the bad spot. Maybe you're in a bad marriage, bad relationship. You're having other horrendous things that are happening to you, and so your mind is flooded by those things. And so if you are sitting there thinking that, well, if I can ask God for one thing, <laughs> here, this is, this is what I would ask. But remember, you only get one question. And so it has to be absolutely the most important thing. The answer to the question is, is forgiveness. There is nothing more important in the world than forgiveness. And if forgiveness is the only thing that, that you can receive, then you're in the best possible place that you can be. What I'm talking about is forgiveness of your sins. I'm talking about being saved, becoming a Christian. The most important thing in the world for any human being is for God to forgive them. The greatest need in your life, my life, anybody's life is forgiveness from the Lord. And so we want to make sure that as we have all these other requests that we come to God with, that those other requests, no matter how important they are or how important they may feel, that those other requests are secondary secondary to the main thing. And the main thing is that God will forgive us. The title of the podcast is Submitting Your Life to the Foolishness of God. The foolishness of God is the language that Paul uses, not me. Perhaps you're not a Christian and you think about the foolishness of God. Well, that seems harsh and unchristian. Well, actually, it's not. It is a counterintuitive message that falls perfectly in line with the counterintuitive message of the gospel. Paul talked about the foolishness of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, where he said that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We call it gospel irony sometimes. God's ways are not our ways. The things that we want, the things that we believe we need are not the most important things. And we can lose focus and not realize that, that God has a more important message for us. And we, we can elevate things uh, to a place that's higher than what they should be because of the urgency or the pain or whatever it may be. And I'm not saying this cheaply, and I'm not saying in a, in a minimalistic way as, as though I'm minimalizing whatever you're going through. I have gone through many difficult things in my life that have been well uh, articulated uh, throughout this ministry on podcasts and articles and other places. I've had some horrendous things that have happened, so I would never make light of anything that has ever happened to you. But sometimes what we can do because of whatever we're going through, or whatever our experience has been, we can forget the main thing 
and we can elevate things to the point to where it becomes a negotiation with the Lord. My love for you is conditional upon you rectifying this situation. And some people, as you probably know, will even walk away from God. They will put it simply, I tried God and, and it didn't work. And what they're saying is, is they didn't get what they wanted. And it's important for all of us to go back to this place of reminding ourselves once again that there's only one thing that's truly important. Have I been forgiven by God? Do I have a seat in heaven? Will I, will I be with Christ throughout eternity? Not will I have my best life now. Not will I get all of my desires or even half of my desires or whatever the percentage is. And I know this is really important for many of you because you're going through a difficult time right now. You have a bad marriage, you're struggling with a child, or a child struggling with a parent, or you're in a difficult church situation, or whatever the, whatever it is, you're going through a difficult time. And, and in that moment, it's easy to forget that my greatest problem in life has been taken care of at the cross that my number one question in life, there is an answer that you have asked God to forgive you and you have been born from above, you've been regenerated. And that needs to be the stabilizing factor no matter what is going on in your life. I was talking with a couple yesterday and we were discussing uh, the book of Genesis, Joseph specifically, and Joseph's story goes from 37 to 50 in the book of Genesis. But in, in chapter 39, in the second verse, there are two words in that verse that I think it really is the epicenter of everything that happens from 37 to 50. Those two words are with Joseph. Now, if you back out and, and, and look at the context of those two words, the first thing you will see is, is it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And, and those five words, the Lord was with Joseph, is the epicenter of that entire section of Scripture. And it's the most important thing in that passage of all of those chapters. Because if you cut those five words out, like the Lord was not with Joseph, the story would be the same as far as the bad things that happened to him, the suffering that he went through. And as I told the couple yesterday, there are two roads that are, be, that are in front of every person, and both roads are, are, are roads of suffering. Road number one, over the road, it says suffering. Road number two, over the road, the sign says suffering. But underneath those two words, what you read is this. On road number one, it says suffering without God. Road number two, it says suffering with God. You see, you don't have an option when it comes to suffering. Everybody suffers. We're fallen people in a fallen world. There is no other way to get through this life except for suffering. And so no matter which of the two roads that you choose, you are going to suffer. But what you want to make sure is, are you going to suffer with God or are you going to suffer without God? Now, I have a recommendation on that. If I get to vote for your life, I'm going to vote that you suffer with God, not without God. And that's why that text in Genesis 37, uh, 39, verse number 2, the Lord was with Joseph. 
Because again, what happens is, you know, what Joseph could do if he was human-centered, he would look at all the suffering in his life and, and the things that were happening to him would be more important than the most important thing has he been born again. And so he's sitting in a pit and it's like, this is my most pressing need right now. There are women that are listening to this podcast and they're in difficult marriages and they're saying, this is my most pressing need right now. And I understand that. And that's why I said I would not minimalize that. I, I, I don't want to say that it's not important, but there is a sequence here. There is a priority. There is a staging of most important things. And the most important thing, this is the question that you need to center on. What is the epicenter of your life? Are you suffering with God are you suffering without God? And that's why this idea of the foolishness of God is so important, because God's ways, honestly, can seem so foolish. I have to die to live. I have to get out of the world to get in Christ. I have to de deny myself to have a true success. This is the counterintuitive message of the, of, of the gospel. This is the counterintuitive message of the Christian life. And sometimes it can be so convoluted and confusing to us because God's ways. I mean, when you think about it, when the, uh, everybody, basically, everybody that loved Jesus were standing at the foot of the cross and they're looking up and they're, they're saying, is this wisdom? Is this strength? Is this power? the man dying on the cross. And sometimes we can look at our lives and what we're going through and we say, is this wisdom? Is this power? It just seems foolish. It seems weak. What Joseph was going through seems foolish. It seems weak. But as you back all the way out, I mean all the way out, and see the entire scope of Joseph's life, it's like, oh, wow, that is wisdom and that is power. Even though when you're down in the weeds of Joseph's life, it seems so foolish and seems so weak. So I titled the podcast, Submitting Your Life to the Foolishness of God. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. It's written out. It's scripted out on our website. Go to rickthomas.net. You could type in the words, Submitting Your Life, or type in the words, The Foolishness of God. I don't generally recommend that you type in the entire title, uh, but if you type in a portion of it, uh, it will come up and you can read it and you can, I, I would encourage you to share it with a friend. I also encourage you to share it in your small group. It would be a wonderful discussion because the truth is, is that everybody within your small group, they're struggling. There are things that are pressing in on their lives right now, and, and those, those things, those needs, those urgent matters, these horrific things that may be going on in their lives, they can become so big that they, they can forget the most central thing as you dial in on, on Genesis 39-2 with Joseph. And you want to make sure that as you go through suffering, which you have no option about, that you go through your suffering with God. Frequently, our most pressing need is not our most important need. Sometimes God works in unsuspecting ways, maybe ways we did not perceive or even want. How many of us can say that? 
I hear it regularly when people come to us, and they're looking backward now, and, and they talk about, uh, in, a, in a, a very God-centered way, in a hope-filled way, a victorious way, but they talk about, say, when I went through that, it was like the most horrific thing, and it made no sense to me, but now as I look back reflectively, I, I see how the how it was so foolish and and so weak, but I I see the power of God and I, I see the wisdom of God in it now, and that that is uh, we see God working in unsuspecting ways, maybe ways we did not perceive or even want. Ironically, His ways can seem foolish to the natural mind, and while well, they obviously without question they seem foolish to the natural mind. The natural mind cannot understand the things of the, the Spirit of God, but they can also seem foolish to the spiritual mind, too. You see, the primary idea in view here is, and this is what it boils down to, who do you want to be in control of your life's narrative? That's the real issue. That's the real tension that we all have. We want control of our narrative, and we have, we have questions and answers, especially answers. We have answers. We want to do it this way, and this is what should happen. This is what the Lord should do. We want to write the script. But honestly, the humblest and wisest thing any of us could do is to submit full creative control of our life story to the Lord. Now, on the surface... This makes sense to the Christian. Yeah, yeah, this is what you should do. We teach it from our pulpits. We teach it from our Sunday school lecterns. We, we teach it in, in counseling. We, we teach it in our family dynamics that it's God's story, not our story. He's the one who's writing the narrative. He's the author of the script. We're going to submit full cre- creative control of our life story to the Lord. But as they say... It is easier said than done. And though we can sit down at our desk and take our Theology 101 exam and the question comes up, who should have full creative control of your life? And you, you have two options before you, me or him, and you check the box, him, great, you have passed your Theology 101 exam. And then you walk out of the classroom and hell breaks loose on your soul or on your life. And then you are grasping, trying to take control of, creative control of your life's narrative. And so let me go ahead and ask the question and you can wrestle with it and even discuss it with a friend. Have you submitted full creative control of your narrative to Christ? Before you can submit your story to him and give him creative control, you do must come to terms with this idea of the foolishness of God. Because God's ways are not our ways. There are some things that he asks us to do. There are situations that he ushers us into. As he was asking Abraham to go up on the side of a hill and, and kill his son, that seems foolish. As he told Moses to go on the backside of the desert and wander around for 40 years, well, that really seems foolish and, and weak. As I have already mentioned earlier with, with Joseph and the life that he lived, before you can submit full creative control of your narrative to Christ, you have to come to terms with the foolishness of God because, well, it's a critical understanding of the gospel. 
Paul talked about how the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Isaiah said it this way in 55, 8 and 9. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This would be a great evangelistic approach. <laughs> hey, you want to become a Christian? Well, here's what you need to understand. Uh, your thoughts are not God's thoughts, and your ways are not God's ways. And so if you want to become a Christian... Well, you just this. You need to prepare yourself for this. Uh, things are going to go haywire in your life, and uh, you're going to have a temptation to think that God's going to rescue you at every moment, every juncture of the way, and that He's going to give you the the, the desires of your heart because there's scripture for that. And so He's going to give you the desires of your heart, and that's where we can really get ourselves in a dangerous spot. Isaiah says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if you are wrestling with this idea or as you wrestle with this idea of submitting creative control of your narrative to Christ, you have to think about the foolishness and weakness of God and how his thoughts are not yours. From a ground-level view of life, it is hard to see what we truly need or how the thing that will save us is not what we believe initially. I know this is the right way. And when I'm down in the weeds of my life, that's what I believe and that's what I see and that's what I know and that's what I expect from God. But as you back up, God has this macro view of our life as he did in Joseph's life and he he saw exactly uh, what was most important. And the most important thing was that God was with Joseph. The most important thing was not the things that happened in his life. Let me share another story about where this tension comes into play. And the book of Gospel of Mark, Gospel According to Mark, chapter number 2, verses 1 through 12. And in that section of Scripture, there's a story of a person with paralysis, and he's being let down from the roof so Jesus could heal him. And so there's a small group meeting going on in the room, and this paralytic dude, uh, he, he has four friends, and they open up the roof, and they let him down into this small group uh, meeting. And Jesus was the small group leader at this meeting. And so after his friends placed him... Before Jesus for healing, what he received was forgiveness from his sins rather than a cure for the body. Snap. <laughs> How many times have you come to the Lord and it's like, this is what I need. And then God does this instead. He does a more important thing. And in the moment, you don't realize that this is a more important thing. And this is where you really have to trust God. And so being forgiven is not what he or the four men who let him down from the roof wanted. Everyone in the room, except for Jesus, was thinking about his physical need. Everybody in this small group knew exactly what was going to happen. Everybody could look at the man and see what needed to happen. Imagine you, you're in a small group setting and somebody comes to that meeting and they begin to share the horrific whatever that's going on in their life, and everybody in the room sees what needs to happen, what they hope will happen, what they pray will happen. And there's nothing wrong with those desires, by the way. 
It's not that this small group in Mark 2 wanted the wrong thing or a bad thing. It's not that they had evil intent or impure motives. They loved this man. They wanted to see Christ heal this man because they knew that he could. And so it was apparent. And anyone who was close to him knew what Christ needed to do. There was only one person in the room who saw things differently. It does remind you of the story of Lazarus in John 11, where Mary and Martha assessed the situation and brought the need of the hour to Christ. It was Christ who was seemingly out of sync with what needed to happen next. The text says Jesus was glad that Lazarus was dead, which was the perfect context for him to magnify the works of his father. Sometimes when you look at your life and as you are experiencing life and the hard things that are going on, it seems like the only person that's out of sync with what needs to happen is God. That's why I titled the podcast, Submitting Your Life to the Foolishness of God. Before you can answer the question that I ask you, have you submitted full creative control of your narrative to Christ? You have to come to terms with this idea of the foolishness of God. And so what we have here is a small group meeting. Everybody in the room knows what needs to happen. When the paralytic man's friends confronted Jesus with what needed to happen, Jesus did something no one expected. He saved him from his sins. And guess what? The crowd was disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed when the Lord did not meet your expectations? I remember talking to a disappointed wife a few years ago who wanted her husband to treat her better than what he had been treating her. I agreed with her, by the way. By her husband's admission, he was a a jerk who realized that he needed to change his behavior. The husband agreed with her. She agreed with her. I agreed with her. But the problem was that he had no desire to improve himself. The code word here is repent. He had no desire to repent for what he needed to do, and he had no desire to change his marriage. He was okay with how things were. But his life choices were not the only thing that was wrong with them. Through counseling, it became apparent there were other issues that both of them needed to address, kind of like in Mark 1. There were two issues on the table, but everybody just saw one. They saw the paralytic man who needed healing. They did not see a deeper deeper issue that needed to be resolved, the forgiveness of sins. And in an analogous way, that's what I had in this counseling session. The most obvious thing in the room was the guy was a knucklehead, and he needed to change. But as I began to explore in counseling, uh, there were other issues that needed to be addressed. It appeared the Lord was using personal suffering as a means to bring them to a clear understanding of the real problems and a better place in their relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus did in Mark 1. He used personal suffering to highlight the most important thing. And in that situation, it was the forgiveness of sins. And so I began to explain these things to the wife, to which, ironically, she responded, I do not care about what the Lord may be doing in our lives. I want my husband to be be nice. Imagine that disappointed small group in Jesus' day in that room. If they said, I do not care 
about the forgiveness of sins. We just want our friend healed. They didn't want to submit to the foolishness of God. This lady that I was counseling did not want to submit to the foolishness of God. I fully understand what she was saying. I would love for all the sin to disappear. I've often thought about how great it would have been if my two brothers weren't murdered. We all have had sad points in our lives when we take a backward glance. And, and so I'm not minimalizing the difficulty that she was having in her marriage. I'm not minimalizing the uh, paralytic man. But I am saying that sometimes there's a more important thing that's going on, and we must get our minds around this idea of the foolishness of God because it does seem foolish a lot of times with what the Lord is doing in our lives. Jesus said it this way in John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world you can contextualize this verse here, John 16, 33, in, in Joseph's narrative in Genesis. Listen to the verse again. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you will have peace. And that's what really 39, 2 says, Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had peace. That was the epicenter of his life. Jesus goes on to say, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Joseph was suffering with God. With all the tribulation that was going on in his life, he was centered on peace because God was with him. God did not promise the removal of every thorn in our lives, but he did promise a Savior who ultimately would conquer all the thorns that can hurt us. I have a few questions that—well, let me, let me say it this way. You're not promised your best life now. You're not. But you are guaranteed eternal safety through the gospel. Now, there are two things that you can learn from this podcast. Thing number one is God will heal you of the greatest need in your life, which is your need for forgiveness. That's how I open the podcast, and I ask you, as you think about the most important thing, like, like if you could only have one request of God, what would you ask? You only get one, what would you ask? There's only one right answer God, will you forgive me? This is what God did to the paralytic. He, he forgave him of his sins. Now, he went on to heal him because they were struggling, and he had to prove to them that he had power to forgive sins by exercising power over his uh, physical brokenness, the paralytic's physical brokenness. Now, we know now what the miracle that Jesus performed to prove his power to forgive sins is the resurrection. That was the miracle that proves that he can forgive us of our sins. And so we have a miracle too that allows us to believe that Christ can forgive us of our sins as he did for them. It was a precursor to the resurrection. They, Jesus healed his body and they began to believe, oh, he could not only heal his body, well, then obviously he can forgive sins as well. God can heal you of your greatest need in your life, which is your need for forgiveness. But God will not necessarily remove everything from your life that discourages you. 
Here are a few questions that I want you to think about as you ponder this podcast. Obviously, the most important question is, has the Lord resolved your greatest need in life through the gospel work of Christ? I'm asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you've been born again. Has God saved you? Are you regenerated by the power of God? There's nothing more important. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of whatever's happening to you, the most important thing is, are you born again? Let's say that you are, you are a believer. Then question number two, how are you stewarding your other disappointments in life? The things that are not going according to your plans. Let me go back to Joseph for just a moment. God was with Joseph. And so you are a believer. God is with you. God did not remove all the disappointments in Joseph's life. In fact, it was essential for those disappointments to be there because it was the foolishness of God and the weakness of God that he was working through Joseph to accomplish a profound thing. And so getting all of our problems removed is can actually be a bad idea. How are you stewarding your disappointments in life, the things that are not going according to your plans? And then finally, question number three, have you elevated any of your desires to the most primary need in your life by making them non-negotiable terms of association with God? That you have something that's so important to you that it is a negotiating point as to how you will relate to God. Some people will do that. As I said earlier, some people will say, I tried God and, and He did not give me what I want. What they're saying is, is I have elevated my desire, what I want, as the primary need in my life, and, and that is a non-negotiable terms of association with God. We want to make sure that our desires aren't that high. The most important thing is, are you forgiven? Submitting your life to the foolishness of God. If you'd like to talk about this podcast, please come to our website and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.